sent a couple of tasteful nudes, and here we are. <laughs> Hello and welcome. I'm Steve. And I'm Al. And I am excited. And I'm Trent. And this is Fools with Tools, a podcast for the Gilded Gunnel. Gentlemen, how are we all? Trent, uh, seeing as you're the guest, do you want to just introduce yourself, let everyone know who you are and, and what you've been up to this week? I can imagine this week's probably been quite a quiet, sedate, relaxed week for you. <laughs> I've had a very calm week. Yeah, I guess. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm Trent Pressler, and I am a boat builder and a recently published author, and I live in New York. Um, this week has been totally crazy. I've been launching my new book called Little and Often, and uh, I'm sure we'll dive into that. I think uh, Brett's read it and Steve's almost done and yeah. Alex is delinquent, but um, <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. I won't hold it against you. <laughs> so it's been a crazy week, probably the busiest week of my life, actually. I just like 12 hours a day of interviews and Zooms and yeah. signing books and crazy, but it's all good. Good stuff. Nice. What the fuck is he doing here? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, no, that's, I, I mean, I, I think we'll we'll probably like you say we get onto the book again in a in a sec, but it's I I can't even imagine how mad this week's been for you. So it's like again, thank you so much for finding the time to come on and, and chat to us because this thank is uh, yeah, this is good. Uh, Brett, what about you? What have you been up to this week? Oh boy, I've actually been prepping to do some woodwork with some really beautiful cedar that we've got. Um, nice. Seems like a change of pace, but also very fitting considering I've been listening to Trent's book. Um, I did not realize how difficult things like uh, grading hard pack sand in the desert under the sun with a shovel and a rake was going to be. But that's been my life for the last couple of days. Uh, I've gone and made multiple trips to pick up a half yard of gravel at a time, and I'm starting to get used to what a yard or measuring landscaping things based on yardage is. <laughs> That's a new one to me. But I'm working on building a an extra little workspace slash deck out in front of the ship shop because I'm really lacking space at the cabin. And now that I'm starting to make a little bit of movement working on the property, I know I want to work on the interior, but I it's like I couldn't get it out of my head that the the surrounding landscape was dirty and you guys know my affinity for the clean shop, happy shop. So if every time I was pulling up to the property, it felt like it was dirty. I felt like I couldn't do work on it. So for the last week or two, it's just been a lot of cleaning, breaking up concrete with a sledgehammer, which is fun as hell because it crumbles very quickly with a decent sized <laughs> sledgehammer, but it always looks really impressive. So I've been filming the whole thing and it's like, you know, a hundred pounds of concrete, wrapped around a, a piece of wood and then I just get to crush it with a hammer. So it looks nice. super fun. Haven't been able to get to too much forging, but making a lot of progress in terms of uh, planning and prepping for this deck. I should be able to work on it today. Stoked. And listening to the freaking book. Like that is <laughs> that has been the two main things I've been doing is working yeah. and listening to this wonderful audiobook. So nice. Sounds like a, yeah. a productive Hardworking week. Speaking oh, of productive yeah. and hardworking, Al. Steve, what have you been up to? So I managed to, Trent, I'm in the middle of um, restoring a old Suzuki shitbox and turning it into a camper van. Um, <laughs> and th this week was fixing the engine. So I finally got that work in. 
runs like a dream. Did I send you a video of it, Steve? No, no, the yeah. engine running. All oh, right, so yeah, it absolutely runs like a dream now. Um, all the parts fitted and stuff, and yeah, it's, that's, that's all problems. Sorted, exhaust fitted. Hopefully, it'll pass the smog test, um, and I can move on. Uh, and today, I went to the scrap place, which is where they have all like the offcuts from industry, yeah. um, which is super cool. And I got a bunch of fabric and leather and stuff, which I'm going to do all the upholstery with. So that's next on the list. And Brett, I was going to bend your ear about possibly dyeing leather, like already dyed leather, how mm -hmm. easy it is to then dye it another color, like hmm. black, for instance. So I'm assuming dyeing things black is easy. Happy uh, to chat. It's yesterday, easier than you think. Yesterday was my birthday. Yeah, I got, wow. I got some cool stuff. So we're going to do show and tell, which is really good for an audio podcast. Um, <laughs> I got this, and I don't know what the word is for it. It's a slug. It's oh, a no, it's you put your beer in it. Yeah, it's like a koozie yeah. with yeah. a handle. Because yeah. when when you go into a pub in the UK, you go, do you want a handle? Do you want a handle? Because <laughs> you get you get a glass with a handle because like your beer doesn't get warm. And I love handles on my beer. So there you go. That's 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 really nice. That was from Heather. And then you're not the only one with a fancy book, Trent. I got, uh -oh. I got Suzuki Vitara, the Enthusiast <laughs> Companion. <laughs> Check out those fucking graphics. That's um, amazing. Wow. It's a book for everyone who owns or would like to own a Suzuki Vitara. Well, that's most people. I would <laughs> exactly. So it's a book for everyone, essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's been that's been my 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 busy week. Um, I <laughs> I have got four Audible credits lined up, Trent. So the book is oh. is getting Good. downloaded and will right, be listening. Well, my to book him. costs five, so you're totally you're out. <laughs> well, come 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 May, I will I will get your book. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, yeah, no, that sounds like a really good week, man. Um, I'm excited for the next um, Vitar Al update video thing because. Yeah, it's it's really nice seeing that thing come along. Um, I, on the other hand, I have done nothing but be in work. Uh, so we've um, we've not had any pans in for a while, um, and I've been it's been really nice because I've been actually on the forge making um, some other bits. But this week or the end of last week, we had uh, pan delivery. Uh, so I've just spent the first half of the week cooking pans and the rest of the week making them. Um, and riveting everything together and doing all that which has actually been really nice because it's meant that i've been able to um put my earphones in and listen to stuff um which segues beautifully into the book but <laughs> weirdly enough be, like so i i think jess put out uh, uh a story on instagram about the fact that the book was available on audible on tuesday night uh, which is when I got it and downloaded it and was listening to it Wednesday. But Tuesday afternoon, I genuinely uh, came home and I'd been talking to um, uh, to one of my friends about um, about like living situations and things like that. And I genuinely had been looking at my living room, thinking like, because I've my my workshop that I've got at the moment, I rent it off of a lady in the village. It's it's wonderful, but the floor is not flat. It's it's cold. It's wet. You know, I've got a if I need the toilet, I've got to stop for 20 minutes, walk all the way back home, um, then go all the way up down. And of course, if I come home, the dog gets really excited. The dog wants to then go out and play. And it's just, it's, it's, it's not great. Um, and genuinely Tuesday afternoon, I was thinking like, I could totally clear out like this downstairs area, 
get rid of everything. Like, I don't need a big dining table. I don't need this. I don't need a desk. I was like, I could just, I could just turn this into my workshop and then um, start listening to the the wonderful book and then find out that almost exactly what Trent did, except on a much larger scale and just got rid of everything. Um, <laughs> I did. Yeah. So it was kind of nice to kind of uh, listen to that and kind of go like, oh, maybe that's not such a, a ridiculous idea then. Um, although yeah. my my upstairs neighbors might complain a little bit. Um, it's pretty cleansing. It's like, you, you know, you sort of think about, do I really need this thing? Did I have yeah. I used this or touched this for the last year or two? Then why do I still have it? Why yeah. is it here? I like yeah. that part of the just, you picked it up and you said, do I use it? Do I need it? How long has it been? Whatever. And then you just yeah. chuck it. Yeah. yeah. And, and I like the fact that there was like a few sentimental things that you're like, actually, no, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep this. But the vast majority yeah. of it, it was just sling it. Yeah. Um, and then I was 37 and it was like the accumulation of a lifetime of just, you know, stuff. Yeah. Stuff, you know, and there's <laughs> things in life that aren't stuff. There's things in life that mean something or, there's photos or they're connected to your family somehow, but hmm. a lot of what we have is just stuff. Yeah. You yeah. hundred percent. If we didn't have it, it would have fallen off the, that ship in the Suez canal. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think like it, it was a, it was an interesting listen. I think the book in general though, like it's, it's really hard to describe because I was trying to describe it to the guys I work with and, um, and I mean, the only thing that Al, my boss, picked up on was the fact that you worked at a winery and got very excited about that. Um, <laughs> but, but that's because I was a raging alcoholic. Um, but uh, well, I will say that it's um, I I didn't want it to be pigeonholed as either like just a woodworking book or yeah. just a folk book or just a family dad book or just a death grief book. Yeah. But it's got a little bit of everything. And it's what I love, though, is like. It's so, and I'm I'm not trying to um, like give you a big head or anything, but like it's really really well written. It was really right. enjoyable to listen to, and and Matt, the guy that, that did the narration for it, did such a good job of emoting um, the how it was written as well. And it it kind of catches you because you'd be laughing at one minute, and then the next minute you're kind of going, oh shit, I need to sit down for a minute and process this. It's <laughs> yeah yeah oh gosh that's the ultimate compliment i uh, <laughs> the writer's whiplash where you, you know if, if people will laugh with you they will also cry with you yeah mm -hmm. 100%. And, uh, you know and i wanted to establish kind of a early in the book i wanted to establish myself as someone that they so, you know the reader could trust and i would take you through this journey and it might mm. be long and hard but we'll get to the promised land eventually and yeah. um it's and Matt did such a great job. Everyone, I've had a million people ask why I didn't narrate my own audiobook. Mm. And well, first of all, everyone kind of, I don't like the sound of my own voice and I'm not a trained <laughs> actor, you know, and I'd probably be like clearing my throat and yeah. I have allergies. Who knows, right? <laughs> my dog would bark in the background. <laughs> like, Welcome to my book. It sounds like I'm in a trailer park or something. And, um, so it was important to me to have an actual trained actor read the book yeah and um so through a friend of a friend i asked matt bomer to do it and he did a beautiful job and then on this might be a little tangent but on uh tuesday of this week i um i did a book lodge event with nick offerman yes and so we had like an online zoom for an hour just to like celebrate <laughs> the release of my book and nick is so cool we all know 
Nick, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> okay. And he's Ron Swanson, but he's just like a titan of a personality and an incredible human being. And mm. toward the end of our talk, like after, you know, we're pretty comfortable with each other. Uh, he brought up the audiobook, and in not so many words, he basically said he was jealous that Matt Bowman <laughs> got. <laughs> and he's like, How Brilliant. did you choose the Who Got to Read Your Audiobook? Was it based yeah. on good looks? Because. <laughs> uh, and he said something like, He owns a mirror, and he knows that he was like 37th in line to read my audiobook. <laughs> but oh, anyway. I told him he could play my dad in the movie since he didn't get to read the audiobook. He <laughs> <laughs> was fine with that. I did like that. You had that little anecdote uh, yesterday when you were chatting with Matt. And it, I yeah. got a nice giggle out of it because you can just imagine Nick going, I am not a handsome man, but yeah. <laughs> I'd like to read your book. Exactly. <laughs> it's a great impression. Um, yeah. But, um, but yeah, like, like it's, it's really not. like I, I, I kind of went into it um without knowing a huge amount about what the book was actually going to involve and i don't really know what i was expecting but it it wasn't what i ended up reading and that's uh, what i ended up listening to and i i really like the fact that like the only way that i can really describe it is it, it's it's almost like a biography but a biography of the first canoe rather than rather than just being about yourself it's about that like yeah. the, the creating that canoe and where that comes from and the backstory of that one yeah, object it's yeah, yeah it it was brilliant um and it was a really good listen and it's it's quite um it, it's like quietly inspiring um mm. it in that it doesn't kind of make you go oh yeah no I, like you you're not going to listen to it for 30 seconds and go, Oh, I'm going to do this, this, and this it's, you listen to it for a couple of hours and you go, fuck, I, I really need to go out and I need to, you know, you start actually consciously thinking about things and like, how can I, it sounds like hypnotism. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's fucking brilliant. I um, hypnotize you. Now I'm like, give me your social security number. <laughs> what account. was the, what was your first pet called? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, the making um, mom of your first car. Um, <laughs> well, so, I, I, I am. Mean, that's I am. Su I'm super excited about the book. By the way, I, I I can't wait to read it. But I was just a little bit disappointed because when I first saw the the cover, when um, the people like Jess and Brett were posting of it, I thought it was Donna meat on the front cover, not wood shavings. <laughs> ah. And I got really excited, like shawarma. I got really excited. And... <laughs> I thought maybe it was about boats and woodworking and yeah. food. <laughs> Everything comes back to food. <laughs> but, uh, imagine I put like a kebab on the front. <laughs> you said you didn't want it to be a traditional woodworking book, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, the next, uh, it's funny, the first time Nick Offerman saw the cover, he said he described it as aggressive shavings. <laughs> they, are, they, are, they are deep. They are a deep They're shave. They're like deep and thick. <laughs> Uh, I, no. I think it's so strange. I'm sorry, Trent, to kind of interrupt, but I, it has to feel so strange to pour your heart out, you know, write this beautiful story that is, you know, somebody that meets you as, oh, he's a boat, boat builder and not realizing that once they pull that string, this story is everything that unravels. Right. What yeah. led you up to that point? And knowing now that you've given a very large portion of your personal story and journey to so many people that are now reading it, now everyone knows more about you 
than you do about them. So you, I get in these situations of feeling like I meet people that uh, are more apparent in the social media space or, or just um, successful wide scope, you know, people know who they are. And then I talk to them and I'm like, I know so much about you and these <laughs> dark, deep times and depressions that you've gone through and you don't know anything about me. But I love that there is a shared journey and people can find these moments. Like Steve has said, yeah. you find these moments of, like uh, I was raised Catholic, like pretty staunch Catholic for many, many years of my life. And yeah. every single time you had a moment of talking about the religious headbutting that happened back and forth within your family and friends, yeah. those were the moments that really got me. I'm like, oh, I, I know what that felt like when you bump up against somebody that goes, you're not supposed to do that as a, as a nice Catholic Christian boy. Right. Why? Yeah. Right. No, I... I think that's an interesting point because, well, first of all, you guys are the first um, people that I've spoken to who have actually read the book. Um, aside from members of the press and media, um, I haven't recorded a podcast with anyone who had read it yet. They had it, but they were like, oh, I'm on chapter one. And I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> so this is fascinating because um, you guys clearly you've kind of been to the promised land, although, Steve, you haven't done the last chapter yet, but no, just make sure you're alone. <laughs> when you go into the ending um, <laughs> it's one of those books is it <laughs> <laughs> just don't have distractions around or people yeah. around um no it's uh you know that's kind of an element of being an author that i wasn't prepared for which um i suppose like other people maybe like actors d deal with stuff in a different way where they're in public and people think they know a lot about them but really they just know like what characters they play in mm -hmm. movies mm -hmm. whereas when you write a memoir um, uh, yeah, you guys know a whole lot about me and I know nothing except your names basically. And that Brett has some really great tattoos and looks good in a tank top. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> You've just made his entire year. Uh, yep. Take that one. Um, so, it, but you know what, that's the other, that's actually a really beautiful part about it too, because yeah. by kind of being vulnerable and showing, sharing my story, even though my story is hyper specific you know, like cowboys and ranches and canoes and woodworking and New York and wineries. That's hyper specific. And I think Jesse, our friend, our friend Jess said something that like she didn't know how I did it, but that even though we had nothing in common, she felt a common struggle. She felt all the common issues that she felt completely yeah. in line with me. And so that's the beauty of storytelling. You can take something really specific and make it broad and make it like universally applicable. Mm -hmm. um, so that people feel themselves in the story and then they can kind of go on the journey with me and find the healing at the end. That Yeah. I, mean, uh, I, I feel like it's, I'm sorry, Steve, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, like, I feel like be, because you're saying it's hyper-specific, but because you've led such a, 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 because you've, you've been, you've sat in so many different camps and, and you've had such a varied life. There's, there's things that like almost anyone can, um, latch onto and can uh, what's the word I'm trying to re reach for? Like anyone can kind of um, empathize with, and yeah. and I think that's, that's it's a really nice thing because there was a, a few times where uh, you were talking about stuff and I'd suddenly catch myself thinking like, oh, that's actually like I think the the one that really got me was uh, when you were talking about um, uh, Caper being referred to as a farm dog. And yeah. like, 
I, I grew up on a farm and I, as soon as you said that, I instantly knew exactly what you meant and, or what was meant by it and kind of ended up with a, a bit of a lump in my throat. I was like, okay, I'm just going to turn the drill press off and just take a minute and regroup my thoughts. And, and yeah, yeah. And I think it, it's really nice having, um, like say, having something that people can kind of um, relate to. Yeah. <clears throat> well, uh, Brett, you were going to say something and then I want to. Yeah. So the, <laughs> the idea that you're able to write your own story, but whether it's the, the vocabulary you chose to use or, or the pacing of the stories, there's a sense of, I don't know, Steve said empathy, but you're, you're taking us on a little bit of a journey and then finding moments to associate with other people, right? Like everyone has experienced loss at some point in their life. Right. So the way that you chose to write these moments of either self um, self doubt or the challenges, it, it feels like I can associate with those, even if they're not specific to my life, even though, you yeah. know, I came from a small farm town in Kansas and then went through metropolitan, metropolitan, metropolitan. I am, I am very fascinated by the idea that you've maintained your association with the winemaking and everything that you do for the company right? while going on this journey. So in the back of my head, the entire time I'm reading, I'm like, he's still working through all yeah. of this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I think, I think it's very often that people, especially in the maker world, like you, you really want to tell people like, Hey, if you're passionate about something, you know, quit everything that you're doing and jump into it full time. Like you're never going to really embrace it until you just quit everything else in your life you maintained a probably very stressful job based on what it sounds like in the book yeah, and still pushed through all of this stiff stuff amidst it. And that right. boggles my mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I don't have kids or a family necessarily. So in some ways, I think it's probably how maybe how people feel when they come home from their job and then they have mm. three kids screaming at them that they have to leave <laughs> the bed. Uh, where it just really tests your patience. And, um, but yeah, I've, I, I'm still the CEO of a winery on, I guess it's not a side job. It's my main job. And then <laughs> the canoe, I fit in when I can. And the first canoe was a, was a real chore. I, I didn't know what I was doing and I made a ton of mistakes and I had to really, you know, figure out how I was going to work this thing into my life. Um, but you know, there's universal themes of the human condition that I think sometimes we don't, we don't necessarily, um, put at the top of our priority for understanding, but like there's a lot of different types of people, especially in America, which is a country that's ripped apart by, for, by a lot of things for a lot of reasons. And, um, but we all kind of want to, we all want to escape. I, I've talked to so many kids at, that, you know, even in New York city, they grow up dreaming of, of getting away or yeah. just going somewhere else besides where their parents are. And um, so very early in the book, you know, I tell the story of how I kind of went back home to South Dakota and remembered how I had at one point wanted so badly to get out. And, um, you know, there's a, I kind of I tried to weave through a few universal themes of the human condition and parental acceptance, of course, <laughs> is something that a lot of people struggle with. And I, you know, I've learned straight, gay, married, um, old, young, black, white, whatever. A lot of people struggle with uh, to connect with their father yeah uh, or to be accepted by their dad or to like 
their dad was a mechanic and now I'm not or and there's a specific generational shift that I think we're all part of because we're probably all around the same age in our 30s or 40s and we um we were raised analog and then we're the generation that had to go digital yeah and so our dads most likely most of our dads or grandfathers were blue collar worked really hard built stuff got dirty at work and came home um and and but we're not necessarily or yeah. you know some of us are but like it's a different um a lot of people i think are living different much different lives than their than their parents did yeah i mean I, there was uh there was a bit that you were talking about in uh one of the earlier chapters and i i genuinely i, I kept having to stop and and write down notes because my memory is awful and there was a load of stuff that i didn't want to um didn't want to forget but there was um there was a point you were talking about using your dad's tools and it was this kind of feeling of um like never being able to live up to the the kind of idolized version that we all have of of that that father figure um and and the fact that you you know you you didn't necessarily feel like a craftsman because you couldn't do that specific thing like i mean i've i've talked about um uh this like image i have of of, of my dad a couple of times like the fact that you know, he he was a he was a, a farmer that worked like 14 to 16 hour days, seven days a, a week, 365 a year. And it's, it's that thing for me, like doesn't matter how hard I work, I will never feel like I can, uh, I, I will match his, um, his status sort of thing. Um, right. And because he's, he's always been able to fix anything and everything um, around the farm. Like it, it was this, um this worry that you know i'm never going to be able to do the things that he did even though now like if i was to sit him in a um in a forge and ask him to make a nail like he he couldn't do that but in my head he can in my head he's still always going to be better. He, he's always going to be that that kind of that goal to to aim for and to strive to to be like that um and i think like i that kicked in most for me when i was working in it and I was doing a, a a very kind of office based job, and then um, like my car breaking down. And even though I've worked on cars my whole life, like my car break down, I'm kind of thinking like, I, yeah, that dad would be fixing this. Dad would be using his tools, and it's it's a really weird um, thing to kind of yeah. never feel like you're quite matching up to that um, right that <clears throat> version. And yeah. just without without giving away the book, Trent, um, what what sort of instigated the the first boat build? Was it something related to this? Was was it a, a, a shoes you had to fill or something, or was um, it com- completely out of the blue? I'm going to build a boat. <laughs> it, well, it was a little bit out of the blue. It was a little cuckoo crazy. But um, my father and I were estranged for for a very long time and didn't really speak that much. And he had called me home for Thanksgiving in 2014, and um, when I got there, he was. We had dinner, and he um, presented me with his tools and his toolbox. Um, and then, you know, and I kind of didn't quite grasp the significance of of what he was doing. Um, he was. I saw that he was trying to clean out the garage, and he had stuff in different boxes hmm. and whatever. And I was like, "Oh yeah, okay, great, sure, yeah, all right." Um, and he got very sick while I was there, and he was in the hospital, and he had cancer, which I wasn't fully aware of, and. Uh, again i was kind of blind to it and i left and i was like oh, i'll see you at christmas i'll come back and get the tools don't worry um 
And I, but when I got back to New York City, he died. And so I didn't have any of the conversations with him that I always thought I had the time to have and never did. And so when I came back to New York and I had his tools, I, I've just, I felt a real strong um, uh, purpose that I had to build something with them. And uh, I lived on the water at the time on the Atlantic and uh, I wanted to, it's hard to even describe how I came to the decision, but yeah. um, I just wanted to build something I think that could help me explore nature and get out into the water. I'm afraid of the water. I can't swim. I'm terrified of sharks. So like, in a way, it's like I build boats because I'm afraid of the water. <laughs> I'm smart. I, I, yeah, I just love the, the irony of like, You've, you've never really done any kind of woodworking. You can't swim. You're, you're scared of sharks. So I'm going to build a boat because that's a <laughs> yeah. nice, easy that's project. Like a mountain climbing trend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm afraid of heights, but I'm going to take up mountain climbing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and part of me, I think, deep down, I wanted to maybe connect with the boy that I was when I actually had a relationship with my dad. Yeah. Because as a kid, we would always go hunting and fishing a lot, like constantly. And he had some old beat up him canoe that him and his buddies had turned into like a duck hunting blind. And, mm -hmm. you know, that was sort of my first exposure to nature and exploring the outdoors. And um, so, yeah, so I decided to build a canoe and, and it obviously <laughs> 300 <laughs> pages later. <laughs> <laughs> so like, cause I mean, obviously this book is, is like say it, it's kind of focuses on, on that first canoe. Um, You've you've obviously built a a number of them since then. Um, yeah. At what point did you feel like you'd gone from being like? Because yeah, I, again, I don't want to talk too much about it um, and spoil the book for those that um, that haven't listened to it yet. But you talk about that kind of feeling of being a bit overwhelmed and kind of in over your head and yeah. and and that that struggle of of working with materials and tools that you've never worked with before. Yeah. After how many was it that you started to feel confident in your ability to be able to go, actually, you know what? I, I am a boat builder. I can do this. I can go to the lumber yard and not, not have to make up a name on, on the spot. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, actually, I think it was my third canoe where I noticed that I didn't even look once at the instruction books or the, the plans yeah. where I just was like building it. And I actually stopped at one point and kind of like went back through the plans and just made sure that I hadn't forgotten anything and mm -hmm. I hadn't, but I sort of realized, Oh no, actually I can do this now. And yeah. And in fact, every canoe you make, you guys know this cause you make stuff, but you get better at it uh, yeah. and you get better through your mistakes. And so the, the subsequent canoes were much better and they keep getting better and I keep getting more confident at doing it. So yeah, that's awesome. I was I so devastated by the section about Ash. I don't know if Steve's gotten there yet, and I don't want to do oh, a bunch of spoilers, yeah. but the, your whole uh, search for American ash and sure. how things feel like they're going, where we're going to lose it all. Like, oh, no, but I love ash. It is my favorite. <laughs> I know the ash, Steve, you probably haven't gotten there yet. There's not quite, have, yeah. three chapters left. So I, yeah. um, there is a chapter toward the end where I go on a, on a hunt for 20 foot long blemish free American ash and <laughs> You know, the American ash borer is just ripping across this country and yeah. killing it. And they think that probably by 2030, the species will be extinct or at least wow. functionally not around yeah. anymore. Mm -hmm. 
um, like 30 billion trees gone. And um, yeah, and it came at a point in the book where in a way, you know, I felt helpless, obviously, to stop the spread of the, um, the, the ash disease, but also mm-hmm. um, uh, I had a sister who was disabled and in a wheelchair her whole life, and I always felt totally helpless and unable to do anything to help her or make her feel yeah. better. Mm-hmm. So there was a parallel that I drew between that and the, um, the dying ash forests. Yeah. Sorry, I hope that I, I didn't spoil too much. But Steve, no. that's why I said, like, make sure you're alone when you read it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, love, I love the parallel trend, actually, with um, almost like traditional boat making. Like, finding the wood would have been the, the, yeah. the first task. Yeah. Whether, yeah. whether you're on an island and you're just looking for, like, something to hollow out. <laughs> yeah. or, or, you're, or you're trying to find straight boards or something. So even now, when you can order anything on the planet, and if it arrive within days, you're still struggling to find the right, the, the you know the perfect materials for this for this build, which I think is a really nice kind of circle back to traditional yeah, boat yeah. making. Absolutely, I totally agree, and it's yeah. fun. I love trying to find the wood, and there's a few suppliers, <laughs> and it's. It's always exciting if you find something great. And I have too much wood. I need to stop buying wood. You can, you can never have too much wood. It's only here. Yeah. It's only going to be value. I heard woodworking was a dying art anyway. Because, so. yeah. like, I, I, obviously, we're quite lucky. We've, we've got quite a lot of, of ash over here. And we use it all the time for the, the tool handles and stuff like that. And yeah. it, it always makes me laugh because the, the local lumberyard that um, that I go to, we like myself and Joe will go in and we'll spend quite a lot of time looking at the planks and selecting out those really nice straight grained um, uh, bits of ash because we obviously we want them for um, for the handles. And we're always going for the bits that a lot of the woodworkers that are looking for nice like figurative bits of wood. They're they're kind of like tossing them to one side because they're too straight and boring. And it's like no, no, for us that's absolutely perfect. And um, and Joe does it a lot because he makes uh, he does bow making as well, and a similar sort of thing. Like he's looking at it for, from a completely different um, point of view. And I think it's quite interesting to hear from uh, hear you in the book talking about how you were um, like when you went into it, and the fact that you just you went for juniper because you know that that had that that thing for it, and and the yeah. fact that you you didn't think about the those aspects of it um when you first did it and and how you you learned to to look at the wood in a completely different way and and rather than it just being a bit of wood it was or a a living organism it's now this material that you have to pay more attention to Mm -hmm. yeah that's a great point i i decided to use juniper because my dad used it on the ranch to build barbed wire fences for cattle and (laughs) i mean juniper is useless as a boat building lumber it's like (laughs) It's brittle. It's got a thousand knots. Like it smells great. It looks great. But yeah, yeah. A big part of the book was me trying to wrestle with the fact that I had chosen the wrong wood in the first place, hmm. and I was trying to build a canoe out of a species that never. You should never build a canoe. With, you know? <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was like forcing it into place. Yeah. But since then, now all my new canoes, I use long, perfectly straight grain, like Western red cedar or sapili or something. Yeah much more appropriate nice i feel like between the three of us there there is definitely a common connection with you trent um and i'm just basing this off of the chapters where you go to kind of reconnect with nature al has made a few points of this on previous episodes where um the quiet 
the quiet that comes out of say going into a forest or Al, I still can't get over when you talk about when it snows a lot and because everything is dampened by how full the air is with snow, it's so much more quiet and you're, you're really able to like focus and connect with nature itself. Um, I'm kind of pushing this towards Al, but when, when you're out in the woods surrounded by the species that you're actually using, or you have, you develop this appreciation for seeing the living forest or like you were discussing the old growth forest. Right. I still have yet to really experience old growth forest, like standing in it, looking at a tree that's been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. I have not experienced that. And it was difficult for me to connect with that. But Al, Steve, you guys are much more surrounded by trees, especially now that I'm in the desert. <laughs> what does that do for you as somebody who works with these materials? I'm asking this to all three of you. I mean, it is it is special for one of them. I mean, in England yeah. was once all forest. Yeah. Um, and there's still some parts of it that that are still left, you know, r- relatively untouched as where they were. And when you go into those old growth forests, it's just fucking magical. It is like um, Middle Earth, you know. Yeah. It, yeah. It, you 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 go into these places and there's just so much story, so much atmosphere, and it is that kind of take t- just takes you out of it completely. You know, you're not worrying about voicemails and fucking emails and and rent and stuff. You just you just transported. And since a kid, like you're all talking about kind of relationships with fathers. I never had a relationship with my dad. I was just in the woods my entire childhood, just yeah. running around like a feral little fucking animal. Um, <laughs> not much has changed. And for me, that was it was always the place. It was the default like safe safe place. Yeah, where there wasn't any noise or distraction or stress or anything like that but what there was was all these stories and all these materials and all these plants and all these like different things going you know and it's like the wildlife in england is pretty boring like there's nothing (laughs) there's nothing that will kill you or is bigger than you know a badger but um (laughs) (laughs) we have reintroduced beavers actually yes look out look out um but yeah yeah i i i generally think there's a there's something about that 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 escape, Brett, and that mm. that 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 built-in story in 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 an old in an old wood. Yes, I mean, like because we we do have some ancient woodland uh, not too far away, um, and just even just driving through it has been great. But like I obviously again grew up on like in the countryside. I there, I was always going off playing in the woods as well. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, like I. I grew up with um, an older brother and an older sister, but both of them would, you know, they'd go off and do their own thing and I'd just be left to my own devices. So I'd just go and take the dogs out into the woods. And that's half the reason why I have a dog now is because I need that excuse to take some time out and go and just walk around in nature. And I, I've lived in cities before, but I can't do it for very long. because yeah. I, I need- <laughs> I, When I first moved like to, at the age of 19 to, to yeah. a city, I just didn't know what to fucking do with myself. Yeah. I just, I just couldn't I can, cope. No, I, I'm all right for like a week or two. And then I'm like, I, I, I need to escape. I need to go out and sit in a forest for a bit and just <laughs> chill out. <laughs> well, I love that Trent just took it upon himself to straight up miss a very important meeting. He's like, no, no, yeah. no I have to do this thing. I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're leaving. Oregon. Uh, well, part of the, that was, I was trying to convey that I was still, you know, running this winery and I had this job while I was trying to do this. And so there was a couple months where 
I was on so many business trips and board meetings around the country that I didn't even work on the canoe for a little while. And then I was at this meeting in Oregon and just got so sick of sitting in this board meeting, listening to people talk about really boring things that I left and bolted out. And like, like you, Brett, I had never seen an old growth tree before. And, but I really wanted to, and I wanted to know what that was like. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that sound muffling quality that you said when it snows, I mean, I really, I know what that's like when it snows and the birds even stop chirping, Yeah, you know, and it's just quiet. And um, that's similar to what I felt when I got into the old growth. It was like just everything was muffled and um, it's hard to describe. There's almost like a weightiness in the air, like because you feel like the physical presence of other things. Yeah. Um, You know that feeling when like your hair brushes against something but doesn't touch it? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. right so you know that like i'm an inch away from a surface but i only know that because my hair feels weird yeah that's kind of how it is like in an old growth forest I, I always put i always put that down to like humidity but i, I think i think you're right i think you're right i think it's i think it's an, a, an ephemeral like atmospheric thing yeah yeah like think- spirits or something i think there's a certain degree of like your own openness to to respecting the old growth you know when when you walk through a forest and you see a a tree or a plant that's been growing for hundreds of years and you actually take the time to notice it yeah yeah versus just the the touristy you know uh pacific northwest where you just like oh we we took a photo inside the redwood that they hollowed out and used to drive cars through because they were idiots (laughs) and now you've destroyed that beautiful old tree I, I think the idea that you wanted to connect more with not only nature, but the material that you're using, you know, it, it yeah. seems like it's little, but not so often <laughs> that people take the time to connect with the materials and the tools. You know, you had so many moments of connecting with your, your father's tools or, or some of the things that you got from him, but also the, the raw material, the uncut tree. Like it is still standing there and you get to actually understand and appreciate its presence. Right. I think it's the same way that I like looking at people smelting steel out of a bloom or a bloomery. Not that it's something that I think I'm going to do in the near future, but I'm getting to see somebody take iron ore and then create a a usable material out of it. And it gives me an appreciation for being able to walk into a steel store and go, I would like 30 feet of that, please. All the work that's gone into creating that thing over a thousand years to get to this point of technology, I just get to go in and swipe my credit card and walk away from it. (laughs) And as long as I can maintain the perspective on it, it gives me more of an appreciation for, say, what Steve does in the Forge, where even though they are a production blacksmith shop, every single guy that works there has an appreciation for the old world ways of doing things or they're all knowledgeable in it. Steve can tell me a thousand things about blacksmithing that I haven't even become educated on yet because he's taken the time to learn a lot of the traditional ways of doing things. I think it gives Steve, I'm projecting, but I think it gives you a, a, a better appreciation for your craft and more of a connection to the old school ways of doing things. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think it's fascinating as men that we have some innate desire to connect with what guys have been doing for thousands of years. Yeah. And 
maybe we don't express it that way, but like, you know, people have been, I mean, I should say men and women, but people have been forging steel since, <laughs> since <Yeah>. when? <laughs> Thousands of years. Right. And I know that some of the research I did for my book, you know, I learned that people were making canoes out of animal skins and whatever materials they could find thousands of years ago. And, and canoes were invented in different parts of the world, yeah. independent of each other. So they found um, fossilized remains of canoes like Greenland kayaks up in Greenland and, and um, Inuit canoes in Alaska, and then Polynesian dugout canoes and, and it, that they paddled over to like New Zealand. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and like, so people around the world totally with no communication and no idea that there were other people in other parts of the world invented the same thing. Yeah. And I wonder if, you know, like with steel and melting iron ore into steel, was it just one guy that did that? Or... <laughs> it was Mike Steele. <laughs> Mike Steele. Yeah. In suburban Cincinnati. Yeah. <laughs> but... but um... Yeah, the connection I, I, to the to craftsmen in the past, I think, is um, crucial to finding inspiration in mm -hmm. your day to day work. Yeah, I, I, I do. I do love that um, that sort of visceral animal side of it. The, the first first boat I built actually was um, a coracle. I don't know if you oh, nice. have a coracle in the states. Um, um, no, I think what is that? I think uh, Native Americans it's ridiculous. Had, had it's ridiculous. Yeah, it is ridiculous. I think Native Americans had something called a bull boat. Oh, and basically, with Willow? It, it, yeah, with Willow. And yeah. it used to be like animal hide. Mm. And it's basically like a turtle shell that you wear on your back. Yeah. yeah. So it's like a one-man boat. And the idea is that you can build it relatively quickly in an afternoon. So if, yeah. you, if you need to go fishing, you can build a one-man boat with some Willow mm. <laughs> and, and, and one animal skin, you know, one buffalo skin or one... Right. deer skin i presume in in in, in wales it's, it's a welsh yeah. boat um i made mine with canvas and just tarred it but it's a sim very similar process yeah. but it was it was that really basic you know you're just bending wood yeah you know it was what what can i do that i have with me at hand and can do quickly because i need to feed right. my family or i need yeah. you know i need to cross the river or i need yeah. to you know yeah. not not go to a polynesian island but <laughs> i don't think it would make <laughs> yeah. it that far um they're the so fucking impractical basically yeah. you, you have to you, it's only big enough to kneel in and you have one paddle so you, you're kneeling in this thing which is like yeah. top heavy and it's just all about like balance yeah. um but it's super simple and it is it's like really re rewarding thing to do yeah. if you if you honestly trent if you ever have just you probably will okay. never have a day off, but if you ever have a day off, <laughs> build a coracle in a day. It's super I'll fun. I'll build a coracle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that what they use? People use to get from mainland Europe to discover the UK at some point. <laughs> the, was yeah, it was Mike. Person. It was that guy Mike again. Just, yeah, yeah, Mike Steele in his <laughs> steel-skinned coracle. Yeah. <laughs> well, think of the mind frame of that dude. Uh, whenever it was, whoever built the canoe and. Mm -hmm decided to go into the great blue ocean with yeah. no idea yeah. that there was land. I mean, you have to be at some desperate wits end or crazy or just super brave and don't give a shit. Um, but I mean, I, I cannot imagine the mindset of, you know, guys that lived thousands of years. It's ago. like the opposite yeah. of a flat earther. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, because right. I think like it's it's a really interesting going back to like the um like literally going to the start. Like uh, me and Joe have talked about it. We when we first started doing the videos, um, we wanted to do a, a video series where we literally like Joe. I I've. I love being on the water. I've always wanted to uh, to build my own boat of some description. Because um, when I was a kid, I used to have um, it was uh, a cow like foot wash thing. It was like a plastic thing that you could fill with water uh, to wash the cow's feet in. Um, when we had like foot and mouth and stuff like that, and um, oh, right. <laughs> and so we just kind of emptied that out, and we were building a massive slurry lagoon that just filled up with water. And I had so much fun as a kid for like two summers. Just taking this uh, this foot bath out into the slurry lagoon that was just filled with rainwater and just Steve, this sounds like on one that. of those PSA videos that they show you at school about yeah. people dying on farms. Yeah, like, you definitely don't want to do it. <laughs> a little kid getting into like the slurry tank. And... Yeah, <laughs> um, it's all right, it's fine. It was water. It's it's not slurry. It's, it's okay. all, all good. Um, but yeah, so I've I've always wanted to to build some kind of boat. And Joe that I work with does loads of bushcraft and. Um, he's always wanted to do a birch bark canoe and we we were kind of we we both get so excited about the idea of <laughs> one day being able to take enough time away from production work to do a video series where we don't just make a birch bark canoe and do all of the the stuff around that but we actually go off and make all of the tools that we need to make the birch bark canoe so you know we we make our own axes we make our own throws we make everything and then kind of wow. it, build it up from there um and yeah i think like it it's a really interesting thing like going seeing how far back you can go without um right. without completely uh being ridiculous but uh, well no i mean that's um they found tools in maine um in buried in some site that they think was like a work site uh yeah. and they carved dated them to 450 years ago or no not four yeah Anyway, really old. <laughs> I forget. I have to look that up. That's old by American standards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. old by American standards. <laughs> old as my house. Yeah. Maybe it was 400 BC. But anyways, yeah. uh, they found ads and uh, axes and all kinds of yeah. things that were used to hollow out um, dugout canoes. Uh, awesome. I think it'd be awesome to build your tools first and then to build yeah. the canoe. Um, I have not built a birch bark canoe, but I've seen a couple guys online that have, and they are so beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy and it's next level stuff. I mean, they're yeah. like, they're ripping out spruce roots from the ground to use as thread. Yeah. To, you know, I mean, it's just hardcore and I'm <laughs> certainly not patient enough for that. <laughs> uh, Trent, I have to ask, uh, and not to use Nick's title of his book, but do you think that paddling your own canoe as a... I don't yeah. know, an analogy for life. You clearly set out to do this project, you know, everything that the book is about leading up to your journey of, of building the boat. But now that you're doing it as a side business or a side hustle, mm -hmm. do you think subconsciously it's, it's like not only did you need to be able to build control and then set out on your own, you know, putting the boat on the water as a, as a test to yourself, but now are you kind of giving other people that same opportunity? I, I feel like Nick's whole approach was learn to build the thing so that you can go venture out on your own. Yeah. And yours 
I, I don't want to like totally yeah. just throw a bunch of shit your way, but this <laughs> idea that you're able to get away from everything, yeah, and and venture out or or go right. have your own control over your world, which is building your boat and then paddling it out. Right. I think that um, first of all, uh, the canoe can be, I think, deeply metaphorical. So I know that not everyone is going to build a boat um, <laughs> who reads my book. But I do think that there is an element where you're right, where I maybe am trying in a way to give people the ability or the courage to, to find their canoe and whether, whatever that is, you know, maybe they need to do something in their life or build something or fix the leaking roof. Maybe it's not even building a canoe, but doing something that helps them find a sense of identity and purpose and makes them feel busy and makes them feel like they're moving their, the pegs of their life forward. You know, when you're um, doing those in like grade school gym and you're climbing up those peg walls and like you have to just put the next peg in and the next peg in and the next peg in. And like if you start thinking about leaping up and putting a peg in 10, 10 rows up, you'll absolutely fall and break your leg. Um, so um, there's there was an element to me toward the end of the book where I felt like when I finally had paddled my own canoe um, that. I realized that the canoe was my freedom. Mm -hmm. And I used to think that my freedom was external and my freedom would come when like other people said I was um, good enough to do X, Y, Z or that the church accepted me or dad accepted me. And by the end of the book, I realized that I loved and accepted myself first and foremost enough that I finished this boat. And so that was like the, the liberation moment for me in my life. And mm -hmm. With that understanding, all this like inexplicable pain inside me somehow evaporated and I just felt like free. I felt like my own man, like a whole person that I was in, not in full control because everything can go wrong and haywire at any moment and nothing's perfect, but that I was able to navigate the imperfections and kind of ride that wonky willow boat with the deer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel like so yeah. often in in the maker community too. And I know I kind of talked about this a little bit ago, but people are trying to find purpose, you know, and you, you want them to jump in full on and embrace uh, their passion of wanting to make things or wanting to build their canoe in quotes. Um, but to me, it, <laughs> the associations I was able to make reading your book was more about finding that self-worth. So I'm, I'm glad you're kind of confirming that right. it just makes more and more sense when I meet people that are emotionally connected to their work, but also understand what the real impact, it doesn't matter what I make. It's the fact that I took these steps to have a forge in the middle of the desert. Like right. it is difficult for me to describe to the generic person, like how I got out here and why I'm doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. But I know the journey that brought me here and I'm proud of myself for making it. And it doesn't have anything to do with whether or not I can make a knife or a sword or an axe or whatever it is. Yeah, Steve, right. we giggle about it all the time. Like, I don't really want to make a knife because yeah. it doesn't have anything to do with making a knife and that justifying me as a blacksmith. I don't think, Trent, even though you're a, a boat builder nowadays, you have this other job, but your identity is, at least from my perspective, so yeah. less connected with you building boats. I am now just fascinated by you as a person and the journey that got you to making things full-time. And I, I like making that connection with the other people that I meet in our community of 
Yeah, I don't care what you make. I want to know like who you are. Yeah, right. I like. I. I one of the the things that I kind of picked up on Brett when you were talking about it before about giving like the the book and that process giving people permission to to go out and do it themselves i think is a really important thing because there was there was something that i picked up on um whilst listening to the book um so i i actually want to do an episode at some point on gatekeeping within the maker community and just in general and um, and there's there's a lot of it that happens and it happens within different communities it happens within uh the the maker uh community as well but i mean my god like the the gatekeeping community especially within uh, a, a rural area can be huge um yeah. and there was uh, a bit a lot of gates get... <laughs> exactly um but I've also bit... probably listened to the book too recently, and I thought you said gatekeeping. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> like, um, but there, there was a, a bit where you were talking about um, just after you'd clear everything out and going out and buying some new clothes, and yeah. um, almost feeling like a fraud because you're dressed to do the thing that you want to do, um, and right. that kind of that that almost self gatekeeping like nobody else is judging you for that it's it's only in your own head and being able mm -hmm. to overcome mm -hmm. that i think that was a, a really really um it was a, a really big thing because like it's yeah it's something that i think happens all too often is that we we do that to ourselves and we we hold ourselves back rather than um right. rather than being free to be the person that we want to be or to to do the thing that we want to do we we stop and we worry that other people are going to say that we can't do it because of X, Y, or Z. And I think it's just, sure. it, it was a really, um, it was a really important chapter for me, at least yeah. uh, to hear That's, you talk about that. You know, um, I'm making notes here because you guys are hitting points that I'm, my head's spinning. Um, <laughs> uh, but you're right that the chapter where I sort of went out and bought shop clothes and then I felt <laughs> like a fraud. I felt like I was dressing up for Halloween. It yeah. was like my first attempt at, trying to maybe belong and to form some sort of identity of where I thought I wanted to be. It's like when someone goes out on New Year's Day and joins the gym because they're yes. like 10 pounds, they're 10 pounds <laughs> over the weight and they, they buy like $500 worth of Lululemon, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they may never go to the gym, but like they're going to dress yeah. the part. Um, yeah. And, um, and then Brett's point about, like knowing your, your own internal journey and how you got to be a maker and it doesn't matter what you make. Yeah, I think that there's, for me anyway, there was no greater fear than um, disappointing myself. Like, you know, if you stopped making whatever tools or, or metal items that you make, uh, if you stopped doing it and no one knew, maybe no one would care except for you. <laughs> and there was a couple moments when I could have quit building the canoe and no one on earth would have known or cared that some guy tried to build a wooden canoe in his living room in New York except yeah. me and i would have had to go th i would have had to bear that on my shoulders my whole life yeah and why, why does that matter why does it matter if no one else knows about it like schrodinger's um, canoe it's not like you, you, it's being observed like i i, um, I agree with Bray. it's about it's you it's your canoe. it's about me yeah. yeah i mean the realization for me was that the only person whose opinion i had to think about and know about and trust was mine in this mm. particular case and um and then you said gatekeeping. So, that's 
<laughs> there's actually a past like one a couple two sentences in my book that address that uh that i would like to read if you wouldn't mind yeah, it's yeah, a little it. please okay. and thank you okay um can you please do it in matt's voice though i'll do it in matt's <laughs> voice <laughs> oh my god that's perfect uh, actually give nick a little credit and try it in nick's yeah. voice <laughs> You do a good Nick's voice, actually. I don't. Anyway, it's like it's like three sentences. Um, I had to build it the hard way, dad's way, the little and often way. But eventually, I created something that was meant to exist, something that might have existed before I even made it. Perhaps in the end, I felt that way about the life that I built for myself, too. A world that might allow such a life of boat building and woodworking, which had tormented me for the past year, had now opened its doors and welcomed me inside. The canoe spoke to me of that world. It said, you belong here. Whomever you made yourself into, that is who you always were. And that <laughs> is spiffing. People that we think that are spiffing. Well, it was Brett or Al... Trent, Steve, because it spells boats. Oh! Uh, oh! But it doesn't. It spells bats, because there isn't anyone called oh. Yeah. But bats. Bats. <laughs> Brilliant. It's like boats, but it's bats. This is, this is what I have to go through every week. Oh, you've uh, got to go through it. <laughs> uh, which means, Breck, you are first. Who would you like yeah, to Yeah, so I believe this is a re-spiff by way of Steve. Um and I, it, long overdue from my end, because I, I know I met Keith a couple of years ago, uh, I believe at Maker Fair when I, I visited the Modern Forge area. First time I also met um, Jeff and, and Jesse and Cliff and all those guys too. But, you know, I was with Jimmy and mm -hmm. everybody wanted to talk to Jimmy. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone likes Keith, a cue. Yeah. Boy. So shipwright skills. Yeah, oh, nice. See, nice. I know you're yeah. aware, but okay. uh, yeah, yeah, he's super talented, super nice guy. Uh, genuinely, like we just started chatting a lot more. Trent, I think it was around the same time that we started chatting a little bit more. I just started to realize, like, God, there's these guys building all the things that I'm fascinated with in terms of nautical, like real nautical snuff stuff, yeah. not just I hung a pulley on my wall because it looks neat. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, I'm becoming more and more fascinated with the people that, like, he's making his own pulleys and, you know, the little blocks. And Oh, my God. Between you two and, and now I'm starting to find more and more people that are... Uh, talk about just the accessories and maybe not even the shells or the holes of the boats. It's, it's, yeah. it's the approach to making these things that are beautiful handmade items that are just a facet of the bigger mm. picture. Right. Uh, I think he's doing a fantastic job. I, I got a little bit of an insight on his um, the stairs and, and some of the interior work that he's doing right now for one of the clients. And boy, howdy, is he just a talented guy. So yeah. it's Keith Mitchell. His Instagram is Shipwright Skills. Um, everyone should know who he is yeah. and what he does. I actually, this is not my, my spit, but I can just second that because I uh, asked Keith to make a bowl ring, like a tow ring for the front yeah. of my last canoe. And he forged it out of bronze and then uh, stitched leather around it with baseball stitching. Oh. It's absolutely gorgeous. And it was just like this perfect cherry on top of my canoe. And he was That's so amazing. talented. 
Nice. And he's the loveliest bloke as well. He really like, is. Like, like, I've, I've only got to meet him once, but he was, oh, he's just so... Yeah, but like, think, how do you get that in that crew of scumbags and then suddenly he shows up? <laughs> I think, oh, I there's think a I've, nice one. I think yeah. I've seen that on your Instagram, Trent. Is it like the, almost like a yes. horseshoe? Yeah. Yes. Oh, so nice. Yeah. yeah. How yeah. good does that look? I actually posted it yesterday. Yeah, Steve <laughs> drooled over it in my story. <laughs> yeah. I, I did drool over it in my stories. Yes, you're right. It's not um, woodwork, so, you know, it's nice. <laughs> Uh, I've already forgotten the order. Uh, Al, Al, you're next. Yes. Um, I've got a twofer, but I'm going to save the other one for A or B. Cool. Um, so I know I spiffed the Skid Factory a while back, yeah. um, but I think it was just really pertinent just to bring up on the back of Trent, your your kind of story and your book and how making and creativity has kind of almost saved you, taking you places that you wanted to escape or mm-hmm. given you an outlet or, you know, be, allowed you to kind of rekindle relationships or think about things in a different way. Yeah. Um, these guys are like hundred percent like Aussie bloke. I don't have any emotions. Everything's <laughs> a Sheila and a beer. Everything's a laugh. Let's just put big engines in cars. Whee! Right. <laughs> But this episode, <laughs> to completely out of the blue, completely out of character, um, Al just started talking about mental health and and creativity. And there was a really, really interesting spin on things, which I'd never heard before. And it was about sort of making creativity not always being the answer. And I think a lot of people turn to doing what we do as a way to escape or as a means to have an outlet or... Um, express yourself, you know, because you you struggle to do it emotionally because you're a man and can't. Um, and he he actually talked about the the, the flip side of that, and the danger of that, and, and taking things on can make things worse. And and trying to do something, especially something you've not done before, like making a boat, or you know, yeah. <laughs> um, it can be yeah. a, a nightmare, and it can be stressful, and it can be a whole new level of things. And and it was just a really really heartwarming piece to the camera um really as i say really out of character it, it was just but very very honest and i really appreciate it so if you don't like big liter v8s and australian <laughs> cars it doesn't matter but just go watch this week's episode of the skid factory because he talks about the problems of taking on a project i.e doing up a car but then the, the pitfalls of, of of relying on kind of making and creativity as, as a as a means to much deeper problems because yeah. um, as I said, I, I, I've only ever heard the opposite of that, which is like, oh yeah, making has saved me, making has done this, blah blah blah. You know, but I think it was it was really honest and really interesting. Yeah, the Skid Factory is that the Skid Factory? Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. Yeah, the, you, on YouTube. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. Knowing those guys, that's yeah, that is quite kind of. Well, it, well, it, it took me yeah. like it threw me for six. It was totally out of yeah. character, but yeah, it was yeah. great. Nice. Um, all right, I, that's a good chat on. Uh, nice one. Um, Trent, what about you? Uh, who would you like to give a chat out to? Um, well, first of all, just to say the skit, that's inter- interesting, and I want to listen to the skit factor. <laughs> there were moments in my book where, you know, where I lost yeah. my mind and I went crazy and um, had these just outbursts, and it was a lot, and it probably was too much, and I turned out okay, but... <laughs> um, it's also one of those things where they're like, as seen on TV and do not try this at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stubbornness like, is a virtue, Trent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. So I'd like to shout out um, a bowl carver in Maine. Her name is Daniel, Danielle Rose Bird. And her Instagram, I think, is Danielle underscore Rose underscore Bird. And it's B-Y-R-D. And um, she has a new book out that actually came out the same day as my book. And it's called The Hand-Carved Bowl, Design and Create Custom Bowls from Scratch. And I bring this up for two reasons, because authors always, we have to promote other authors. It's like, it's an important part of the creation of books, which is like a sacred act in human history. Yeah. And I know how hard it is to make a book. And um, I know that she put a lot of work into this. But also, I took a bowl carving class from her um, I think it was four years ago in Maine, um, along with Jason Thigpen from Texas Heritage Woodworks. And yeah. um, she makes the most stunningly beautiful bowls. And they're all with hand tools. They're 100%. insane. These feet. The feet. <laughs> the feet. <laughs> like her bowls are mind-blowingly good and not a wow. single power tool in any of it. It's like, it's like ceramic, but it's not. It's wood. Yeah. It's blowing my mind. <laughs> yeah. So beautiful. And so she had me and there were five other guys and Jason. We had to do like a sample bowl over the course of a three-day workshop. <laughs> My bowl looked like, I don't know, a dinosaur threw it up. It was just like <laughs> twisted and contorted and cracked totally. I, I mean, it's like she makes it look so easy. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and our bowls were just terrible, just shockingly terrible. So... You get, anyway. some, you get some aggressive shavings, though, Trent. You'll like yeah, it. I got some aggressive <laughs> I saved those to put on the cover of my book. Um, but the sort of meta part here, we were texting earlier this week, and she said, would you have believed that four or five years ago when we met in Maine and she gave the bowl carving lecture that like we would both have released books on the same exact day? And Smart. it's just like a lesson that you never know what's going to happen in your life. And if someone had walked in that bowl carving room four or five years ago in Maine and said, hello, Danielle and Trent, five years from today, you will both publish your first books. You know, we would have been <laughs> like, you are crazy. That yeah. is so yeah. weird and funny. And um, but but here we are. And it's kind of a beautiful thing how life just evolves. Absolutely. Yeah. That's oh, and by the way, Trent, we're gonna get Nick on from to do a couple of interviews with you, and Matt, Matt's gonna narrate it. And uh, you know, <laughs> right. it'll be great, like, yeah. And at the time, you're just like, but I'm covered in epoxy and I can't carve a bowl. <laughs> I know it's exactly it. No, I would never have believed any of this happening. That's fantastic, yeah. And that's that's a really good and then you came on here, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the highs and the lows. <laughs> We've, we've been quite uh, sedate this episode. We've, yeah, it's it's been quite good. Um, you should come on more often because we've we've been quite well behaved this time around. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, that that means it's me. Um, I I actually I'm changing my spiffy. I was gonna spiff. I was gonna reef spiff someone. Uh, I was gonna re-spiff Wolf Wine because of the winery thing, and also because. I spiffed Wolf Wine back in the early days of Forty Tools. And I remember the, that spiff. I thought you might because we talked about how good their labeling was. Um, and also, I'm really hoping that I can go see Sam, the guy that runs Wolf Wine, soon because uh, the world has opened up and I'm up in Bath a lot more now. And he sells some fucking amazing wine. So I'm looking forward to going and doing that. Um, but as I was looking at... Um, at your spiff, Trent, I noticed that uh, one of the people that 
follow her is someone that I follow, uh, a toolmaker called Josh Burrell, um, who I don't think I've spiffed before. Um, but he's a, a British guy who makes um, uh, woodworking tools and he does a little bit of architecture iron work as well, but he makes a lot of axes. He makes ads. He makes um, like the, have you ever seen the, the clog makers uh, knife? The massive thing that hooks onto a thing and it comes to, yeah. All oh, right. How yeah. do you spell his last name? Uh, Burrell, uh, B-U-R-R-E-L-L, uh, yeah. J.L.Burrell. Um, yeah, uh, Josh, Josh Burrell is, uh, he's a fantastic smith. He's really, really talented. He does a lot of um, uh, axes and ads and old patterns that aren't produced anywhere else anymore. Um, does a lot of forge welding stuff. He is very, very good at what he does. He's also just got a new um, touch mark, which has a badger on it, which just makes mm -hmm. me happy because it's a badger. Um, oh, wow. This stuff is amazing. Yeah, he does some really, really top-notch work. Um, huh. I, I hope at some point to own uh, some of his work. But um, but yeah, no, that's Josh. And I think everyone should go check him out because he definitely deserves to be way more or to have way more followers than he has at the moment because the work he does is is just brilliant so yeah that's josh um right which brings us to the aob and i was going to ask if anybody has any aob but i know for a fact that al you have some so do you want to go first yeah um obviously we, we've talked about nick offerman a few times already in this in this episode but <clears throat> i think if anybody doesn't follow nick's woodworking story or mm. know about his story i think it's really important that you do because he he's not ron swanson in real life no he, he's <laughs> he's the opposite of ron swanson in real life yeah. um and when i first bought um good clean fun and and paddle your own canoe it was a real eye-opener for me and then seeing what he's doing at the at the wood shop and and kind of his approach to i don't want to say diversity because it just sounds so wanky um but <laughs> In a in a community where it is, let's face it, a very fucking narrow demographic, right? Yeah. Um, I think the way that Nick is approaching it and being being inclusive and telling the stories of of the creative people that that work for him mm -hmm. and make the workshop what it is, I just think is incredible. And I and I think it's a, a sort of benchmark for for this community. In, in how we should be beha behaving in general. Um, yeah. But also just the, the stories are all great. Um, and everybody's got a personality and everybody's got a story to tell. And it's and it's not about CSR. It's just about kind of um, what it means to, like, like you're saying, Trent, understand wood and understand the yeah. stories behind it and why you make things and why you make things in a certain way and why everyone's is different. You know, why Brett makes something the way he does, why Steve makes something the way he does. So if you if you don't follow Nick, please do, um, just because he's, he's, he's great. Yeah, that's a really good shout, man. Well um, and I wish someone had told me that because I just thought he was Ron Swanson. Yeah. The character. Do you know what I mean? If, yeah. if someone had said to me, like, if, if like Jimmy had said, oh, by the way, he's actually this amazing guy. And, you know, but yeah, you, you get this impression when someone's an actor that that is also who they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You forget they're playing a part rather than being who they are. In in my book launch talk with Nick, he brought that up. He said that the character Ron Swanson um, it gave him a passport to have a voice with people who he could maybe yeah. 
change their minds. He said, Ron Swanson reminds everyone of their jackass uncle, who's Mm -hmm. like a racist bigot, like weirdo in the woods. And so he, if, if Nick Offerman as Ron Swanson says, Hey, you know what? Maybe gay people are okay. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, you know, maybe I can do woodworking. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, it has a special authority to it because people are like, it's unexpected. It's like, Oh, well, Ron Swanson says that we're all just humans. Then I guess we must be humans. Yeah. Um, It was a really endearing part of the conversation because he recognizes his power, the power of celebrity and, and his role to, you know, help people. Um, yeah, that's yeah. a good good point, man. Um, actually, on that, I know the the book launch kind of Zoom hangout with with um, I nearly said with Ron then, uh, with with Nick was uh, was a ticketed event. Um, is that going to be up and available for people to uh, to view after the fact, or is or is that a one time live thing? Um, it was a one time live event for people who bought the book. Um, okay, cool. But I might talk to the publisher and see, maybe we could post it again um, and yeah. do some sort of a book promo again. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, uh, just, I was just thinking, just, I, I, I didn't find out about it until uh, last night when Mark from Dear River Craftsman was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be watching it. It's going to be really good. I was like, what? what? <laughs> I didn't know about this. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think like I already from just from what Brett said about it, like there's bound to be yeah. so many good little kind of nuggets from that that i think people would find interesting so maybe i will um i'll ask them if i could get like a permanent link to it and then Mm. maybe do another um promo or something where if you buy the book and you can get access to the video or something yeah awesome it's a great chat yeah cool uh right unless there's anything else uh trent where can everyone find you on the internet on Instagram, I'm Pressler Woodshop. So my last name is P-R-E-S-Z-L-E-R Woodshop. Same thing with my website, PresslerWoodshop.com. And my book is called Little and Often. It's published by um, HarperCollins. You can buy it anywhere you buy books. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and uh, thousands of bookstores across the country and the world. And in every yeah. English-speaking country, I might add. So the UK, nice. New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, India, they all have it too. So. Awesome. And if you have audible credits, yes. do that yes. because then Matt Bomer tells the story who does a fantastic job. Yes. Audible I, and Kindle too. You? Nice. I, I, I cannot recommend the audiobook enough. I I enjoyed it massively and it's definitely gonna be one that I'm gonna be re-listening to often. Um even maybe even just a little bit at a time. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I, I couldn't not after I'd said often. I was like, oh fuck, I've got to say that now. Um, and if you want to get hold of the rest of us, you can find us in all of the usual social media places. You can find me at Moonshine Metalworks or on YouTube at The Forge. You can find Brett at Skull and Spade Thirteen, and you can find Al at Al's Hack Shack. Yes, you can. <laughs> No, no. Normally they do a silly voice there, and they've not done it. Hey, for you. I'm a, like, I'm a, like station. <laughs> uh, if you want to find us as a group, uh, fools with tools everywhere. Just Google it; it's fine. Um, yeah. So until next time, Trent. Thank you so so much for coming on. This has been so much fun. Yeah, and thank you. thank you, Trent. Yeah, and thank you for just being you and doing what you've done. It's it's. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, Thanks for having me. It's been so fun talking to you guys. You're more than welcome.
Uh, He's right. never coming back. <laughs> <laughs> what did I just We are do? all getting blocked. <laughs> uh, yeah, until next time, we love you all. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.